Really, really excited to be here. Uh, if, you're, if you're brand new with us, uh, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'll be sharing with you today for a little bit. Thanks for coming out on this holiday weekend. Pretty excited about it. Uh, overall, you may or may not have heard that uh, we launched a series last week called Canvas. And in the series, we talked about all our hopes and dreams and plans for this canvas that God has laid out before us in our downtown building. All of the images I talked about are actually on the back wall now. They'll be displayed back there from now on. So you, on your way out, make sure and walk up, take a closer look. And also at our website, you can find them there as well. So a uh, lot of great things happening. Really excited. A um, lot of momentum. And if I was going to be honest with you, uh, today's sermon came out of a response to, to all this momentum. Uh, after the announcement, I was immediately inundated with text, phone calls, and all these uh, wonderful comments. As a matter of fact, I didn't hear, not that there aren't some who, who felt that way, but I didn't hear a single negative comment from any of the three congregations that we have here at the church. Everybody just felt like God orchestrated this. He brought it. It makes sense. The, the, the finance stuff makes sense. Uh, I, had, I did have one lady say I was a little concerned, and then you brought that really smart guy Tom on stage, and I was like, okay. Okay, and at first I was like, well, thanks, and then I was like, well, that's that's different, but, uh, but you know, <laughs> she just said I was excited to, to know that it's not you leading that part, you know, and I thought, hmm, hmm, let's just, let's just stop right now, uh, but lots of momentum, lots of excitement, lots of people want to be a part and be involved, and, and what's supposed to happen from a, a crowd momentous church leadership standpoint is I'm now supposed to walk on stage week two and give you a, a really well-defined plan for how you can be involved. And that is not what we're going to do today. Uh, next week, we are going to do that. Matter of fact, I have Tom coming back, and we're going to be sharing all the different steps and procedures that, uh, that we feel are necessary to, to move this thing forward. But, but this week, I, I didn't feel that that was right. And uh, I felt like, like God was kind of reminding me of a few things. And as I was pushing this along... Uh, and, and writing it and trying to script it and trying to figure out what to do, I just suddenly realized God was like, hey, you realize that you didn't do anything to get us here. You've said that to the church. So why are you trying to come up with plans for people to get involved? Why don't you just stop and recognize why this happened in the first place? And so that today is exactly what we're going to do. I sat down, started over on my sermon very late in the week. Actually, I'll be honest, I didn't actually put pencil to... to paper or hands to keyboard until Friday. Uh, I, I worked on it all throughout the week, but I didn't actually come up with this talk till Friday afternoon when I realized that we as a church were at a crossroads. We have an opportunity as a church to, to really um, solidify the DNA and the things we think we're about, but I think this will be perhaps our first and hardest step, and let me explain why. The very first thing that caught me off guard was the amount of momentum, I said, the amount of response that I received from people. And I'm pretty good, I've been doing this for a while, at, at deflecting those things and giving glory to God. But after a while, by about the third or fourth day, as people are telling us about our quality leadership and our great plans and the way in which we executed this and how we waited for God for eight years, I even had someone remind me that I told them God would give us a building and, you know, now I'm a bona fide prophet. And so, uh, uh, <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. It, but it just all kind of unfolded till I got to a place where I realized, yeah, this is, we got to address this. And so the first thing that I wrote down, and I believe that I want to give to you now, not only as the lead pastor for this season at the church, but also just for you in your own life, whenever God's doing amazing things, when stuff's happening, when your faith has developed, 
and developing, I think the first thing you have to realize is this. The response must not become the motivation. The response to the announcement, the response to the work must not become the motivation. Now, this seems like a very simple concept, but I have seen this not taken seriously and destroy churches and destroy lives. Because when you become all about the response, then you lose your why. And when you lose your why, you become indebted to your desire to receive more stimulation, more response. You become like the person that started out working out to be healthy, to lose a little bit of weight, to have more energy, to be there for their family, to to, to want to be more involved and connected and, and get out into nature, who suddenly gets a response from people in their gym or in their world who then become someone who solely works out and loses weight in order to live for the response or the likes or the hits or the comments. You become someone that forgot their why. And now everything you do is driven by your desire to have people whistle at you in the park or come up at the gym and go, man, you're looking pretty good. And that becomes your whole world. Health has nothing to do with many people's fitness. Many. Many people work out because it's part of their brokenness being expressed and they need people to tell them you're valuable, you're important, you're special. We as a church could very easily become like that person. We as a church could become somebody who proclaims over um, our our foothold here in Clark County that God did this for us because we waited on him. God did this for us because our finances were out of debt and we were ready. God did this for us because we have really humble staff and incredibly humble pastors and teachers and leaders. (laughs) As if there's no other, you know, wiser, humbler people in Clark County that God could have given the building to. Have you ever run those thoughts out all the way when you talk about your church or the people you respect? Like, well, you know why God did that? It's because Danny, you know, is this, that, that. Honestly, do you really think this is the epitome of pastoring in Clark County, this right here? And God's like, we got a free building. Who are we going to give it to? I don't know anybody better than Danny. Me either. (laughs) First off, who's God talking to? I don't know, but he's talking to somebody. Second, that's insanity, right? That's just not the case. God gives to the lowly in order to bring himself credit is what he does. And he's like, I don't know anybody lowlier than Danny. There's no way people could think this is Danny. I'm going to get the most credit if we give it to Danny and that church. And, and, and that's, that should kind of be the reality, but it's not how people see things. And it's not how people get caught up. And it's not how people get involved. And it's not how people grow churches. People grow churches with personalities. True story. People grow churches with plans and schemes and dreams. They grow churches with you can't get what we do here anywhere else. That is not true. You can get what we do here in any church filled with God's spirit led by him. Any church. You can get what we do here in a house church. You can get what we do here reading the Bible next to your, on your back deck with your kids screaming in one of those little kiddie pools. Right? That's, you, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are where God has you, why God has you. And if you don't recognize the danger, then you will become someone who who is motivated by the response. Yeah, I go here, did you hear what happened? And not by God himself. Nothing but God can be our motivation. Nothing but God can be our motivation. Because nothing is more important, more valuable, or more excellent than God. I want to read to you an entire 
psalm about God's glory. The whole thing, front to back, and here it is. The whole chapter fits on one slide. And you should memorize this and tell people, I've memorized chapters of the Bible, all right? You don't know what I know. I know chapters of the Bible, right? Then you just memorize these five lines, and you can tell everybody you know a whole chapter. This chapter is about God's glory, and it's very concise, and it's very straightforward. And it says this, praise the Lord, all nations. That's everybody. Extol him, all peoples. That's everybody. For great is his steadfast love toward us. That's everybody. This word steadfast, by the way, is the word chesed or kesed. Uh, that's where the word comes from. It's from within the Psalms, all these usage. That, that the word steadfast are this word chesed or God's merciful, continuous love. Steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This is our why. This is the only thing that can keep us straight and narrow. And this is the only thing that can keep us from losing our way. Because this is the only thing more powerful than everything else. If you don't recognize that that God himself is the most powerful thing in the universe, then that means you must have something else in place of God. And whatever that something else is, whether it's your own selfish ambition or you yourself or a person that you worship or a dream that you conjure, whatever these things are, that thing becomes the most important thing in your life when it becomes the most powerful thing in your life. We as a church must decide at this crossroads right now with massive momentum behind us, the most momentum we've ever had in the history of the church right now. I had someone tell me, I've, I, they told me this true story, and, I, and they were being encouraging, but the amount of trust that Kessid has with me and with each other right now, because there's not a bunch of drama, there's not a bunch of story, there's not a bunch of rumor, there's just you and me and Vancouver and Jesus, they're like, hey, there's probably nothing you guys couldn't do. Scared me to death. Because I don't want to do just anything. I want to do only what God wants to do. And when someone says to you, there's probably nothing you guys couldn't do. Man, you guys could, you could build a whole new church. You could, you could do this. You could merge with more churches. You could, you could. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't want that. We only want what God wants. We didn't even know this church existed till God brought it to us. That's how God is going to build his church because then God gets credit. But when we start sitting back, looking at all the plans and looking at all the things that we can be about, then suddenly we can be a people that start to manipulate those plans to get a little closer to what we want to be about. There's a story of Absalom. People use Absalom all the time as the, he was the, the, the usurper of David, his father, King David in the Bible. And King David was a man who was beloved by the people and he was a man who, was, uh, who loved God, right? And that's what scripture says. And Absalom was raised inside of that, that, that uh, privilege and inside of that blessing. And he was the son of David. And everywhere he went, people would talk about Absalom as the son of David. And eventually he became envious of his father and he didn't go through the trials and the problems and the circumstances. He didn't live in the cave of Adullam for eight and a half or so years with these roughneck men. He didn't experience that. He was a prince with soft hands and a soft heart and the inability to do much about anything. He found himself sitting with the men of wisdom at the temple city gate where men gathered to talk about things. And he started listening to these men complain about his father. And of course, everybody has complaints about all leaders. And, but what Absalom did is he gave fire to these men, not by saying, I agree with you, not by saying I could do better, but by simply saying nothing. He sat there in the presence of these men and they would give critique to his father. And Absalom would go, really? well, I think that King David should have done this. And they listened for the privileged son and to correct them or come to his father's aid. 
And he would go, really, tell me more. Sure enough, over the next few months, these men begin to come to Absalom's side until eventually somebody says, Absalom, you know what? You should be king. And he's like, me? Never said I wouldn't be king. Never said I would be king. Just never said anything at all. Eventually, the kingdom turns to Absalom because he listens to the people. Because he hasn't made the mistakes his father made. And next thing you know, there's an upside-down turn. And if you read the scripture, you know that God had to right-side that up. And it, it, it's just an incredible story. But the point is, the easiest thing for us to do as a church when people say, wow, God's really blessed you, is say nothing. That's the easiest and the most dangerous thing you can do. If you want to damn this church, say nothing. If you want to hurt this church, say nothing. Just sit there in the quietness of your own blessing. Really? You think God's with us? Really? Hmm. You think our pastor? What? No way. Terrible. What you should be pointing out to people is that God is using all churches. And he brings glory to himself in all churches. We're just one of God's children that he's blessing at this time. There's tons of works happening in the Clark County. There's tons of works happening in, in the greater Portland-Vancouver area. There's so many works happening in our state and in our country and around the world. And when we get caught up in our own little corner with our own little discussions and forget that, then we become people who take credit by not taking credit instead of giving glory to God and recognizing it's always going to be him, it always has been him, and it always will be him. That's the only way we're going to keep our heads and not start being people who are motivated by the response. And that is to speak against the response, not by not recognizing God's blessing here, but by recognizing that God is blessing many and we're honored to be a part of what it is he's doing now. So why does God bless in the first place then? If all we're going to do is point it back to him, how does that help the kingdom? And I'm glad you asked because I'd like to explain it. Jonathan Edwards... Uh, one of my favorite old time, I'm into dead preachers. Uh, it's just what I like. I don't know why. But uh, he wrote a book that came out after his death. This book came out after his death in 1765, and it was entitled The End for Which God Created the World. And have you ever had someone sit with you and be like, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? This is this man's quest. This is what this man's trying to discover. And finally, he writes this book entitled The End for Which God Created the World. And this is the summary of his answer for why we exist. And I think it's beautiful, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing, really. It's quite simple. This is what he says. The end for which God created the world was the exaltation of his glory communicated to his people for their happiness. Period. The reason you exist the end for which God created the world. You and me are part of that world, by the way. This is that world uh, in, in Hebrew that's encompassing of all creation, all time. The end for which God created the world was the exaltation of his glory communicated to his people for their happiness. In essence, Danny's version of, of what uh, Jonathan Edwards said, God does everything for the sake of his own glory. God does everything for the sake of his own glory. This is the most loving thing he could possibly do. Now I realize when we think about this in our finite human minds that we start to go, whoa, whoa, you're kind of making God sound selfish. You're kind of saying that God does everything for himself. And that's exactly what I'm saying. 
because we're all learning to be theologians here, right? We're all learning to think outside of ourselves. And I already told you the entire Bible is about Jesus. The entire Bible was written about Jesus, not about you. Like people read the Bible and they're like, well, how does this pertain to me? It, it pertains to Jesus. Jesus pertains to you. But the Bible's written about Jesus and about who Jesus is because Jesus is the manifestation of God's glory. The entire Bible is written about God's glory. So why is that important? Think about it. If you happen to be God, John Piper said this about this same topic. If you happen to be God, the only way you can love people supremely is by giving them yourself for their enjoyment because there isn't any better gift to give. As God looks at us, he says, I love these creatures that I created. I love them. I am love. They came out of love. I want to give them the greatest thing they could ever have. And he looks around all of his creation. He goes, I could give them planets. I could give them suns. I could give them galaxies. I could give them. And he goes, no, all these things are second best. You know what I'm going to give them? I'm going to give them me. And so God gives of himself through Christ to us because God is the best God has to give. There is nothing better than God. God is the best God has to give. There is no holding back. This is the father that has a Ferrari and a Ford, and you ask to go driving, and he's like, absolutely, and throws you the keys to the Ferrari, and you're like, what? Just like every other person in this room who's like, what? Absolutely. Take it. Take it. There's nothing I have better to give than myself. Now, along with the Ferrari comes what? Lots of speed, lots of power, lots of looks, lots of, ah, lots of things that come along with the Ferrari that don't come with the Ford. And that's exactly why God gives you himself. Because coming along with God and all that he is is praise for all that he is and worship for all that he is and, and exaltation for all that he is. Because you're in it going, whoa, 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 that you wouldn't be like in the Ford. So many people are living Ford instead of Ferrari lives. <laughs> that was free. It's not even in my notes, I promise. Nothing in there about Ferrari or Ford. Holy Spirit obviously is a Ferrari fan. We just figured that out right now. <laughs> but true story, right? Because you get in the car. I preached this one time, right? I preached this at a, I, I think it was Union High School. I came and I did their, um, their, their thing at the end of the year. What's it? Yes, their baccalaureate. I did their baccalaureate. Tons of kids. I walked on stage, true story, and I said, here's what I have to tell you today. Um, God wants to ruin your life. You should have saw the parents, man. They were like, what is this? People started looking at their, this is when you know you're doing bad. When people start trying to check out your bio, like, what is this? Right, and here was my thing. I got to drive a Lamborghini Diablo Roadster one time. One time, a man in our church uh, worked at the dealership. He drove it to church. He found me after church, after everybody left. He goes, do you want to drive it? And I thought about it about as long as I thought about, do you want Main Street building? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I got in the car, and he said, please be careful. And I looked at him, and I apologized before we took off. And then I drove <laughs> the fire out of that car. Because when else, first off, what's he going to do, right? I'm already in the driver's seat, and we're doing 90, right? So I was like, what are you going to do? You'll get fired if you try to stop me right now. Right, So I drove this car, and here's the best thing about what the car did. It did everything it was supposed to. Here's the worst thing the car did. It wrecked me for fast cars. Frankly, it ruined fast cars for me. I got in a Porsche like a month later. A guy said, you want to drive my Porsche? It's brand new. I felt bad because I was like, eh. 
It was a beautiful car too. And he's like shifting through gears and I was like, you know, I drove a $315,000 Diablo like a month earlier. Your car is Here's what happens when you start to follow God, when you get involved with God, when you connect with God, when you become about his glory. Here's what happens. He ruins your life for everything else. Suddenly the addiction, suddenly the, the stuff that you thought you were getting pleasure from, you're like, eh. yeah, but, but, but we could do this. Man, I just experienced the Holy Spirit. I experienced the glory of God. See, the glory of God ruins your life. It's what it's supposed to do. And it brings purpose to you and focus to you and it brings excellence to you. And the entire time you're having these experiences, you're going, whoa, whoa, this is unbelievable. That's what God's glory is supposed to do. You have a child and you know it's from God and you're like, this is, I just touched a child back here, brand new curly hair, brand new children to our church back here I got to see. I'm like, these are, these are, God made these. Like he was like, hmm, what am I going to do here? I'm going to, it's crazy it's crazy another person had a child I went and saw them in the hospital yesterday they hand me this little boy and he literally woke up for me they said he was hardly awake and he just stared at me like this for like two minutes like what's up and I was like dude like how you doing it's like six hours old he's wide awake looking around like what is happening it was amazing this is from God he does this when you can get to that place when we can get to that place, then we become people about God's glory, God's incredible ruining glory, instead of people who are so focused on the results of our own little stage shows. That's who we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be people, and I'll put it up there, who recognize that God's glory is the mission. God's glory is why we do this. It should be an amazing thing to discover that God is totally committed to exalting God because it is life-saving news for us sinners. God wants to exalt God because he recognizes that it is only God that can save you. It is only God and his power that can ruin everything else in your life that you think is enough. And so God says, feel this, experience this, look at me, and you will never feel, experience, or look at anything else ever again the same. John Piper calls this glory a peculiar glory. It's not the kind of glory that you might think. It's not a winning three-point uh, th- you know, three shot or a, 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 a last-second touchdown. It's not anything like that, that you jump up out of the couch and you spill your drink and you hug some guy you've never met, and you're like, that was glorious. See, that kind of glory doesn't change lives. That kind of glory unites people, but it doesn't change people. John Piper says this, it's a peculiar glory, glory not just in general, but the kind of glory that flows from God's strange and wonderful mingling of majesty and meekness that comes to a climax in Jesus Christ and his willingness as God to die for us. Jesus Christ is the expression of God's glory. That's why the church is built upon him. That's why he came and 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 moves forward the kingdom and proclaims it worthy of his name. That's why we end our prayers with his name, in Jesus' name. It's because he is the glory that we are all seeking. He is the life-ruining, life-shredding, life-transforming glory of God. Philippians 2, 6 through 11, famous verse. Think about it from a glory perspective. Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus, the bringer of glory. That's the key. That's what we miss. And the glory of Jesus looked like the mingling of meekness and majesty in Jesus, who brought together the giving of a Ferrari to a 15-and-a-half-year-old with a permit. Right? The giving of majesty to something that did not deserve to carry that majesty in the form of human expression. And those two things are what transformed for all time through the Ebenezer of his cross, like we talked about last week, our stories, and it is why we do what we do. And it should ruin this church. There should never be a preacher or an act or a prophecy or a miracle that shine louder than the name of Jesus Christ ever. There should never be a worship leader or a vision or a song or a plan or a gift or a strategy that should shine louder than the name of Jesus Christ, period. He is the creator and the destroyer of this place. And it is only by his will that we get to stand here. And it is only by his will that you get to help out or not. It is only him and him alone who decides what he wants to do. And if we can recognize that place, then we get to be a part of what it is he's doing. Not him come be a part of what it is we're doing. I don't need to fit Jesus in here. I mean, he wrecked my whole plans. I had a great sermon. I was going to bring Tom up here. We were going to get some money. It's a true story. You know why? Because I know you and I know me. We're all humans and you can feel God moving. And you know that God wants you to be a part, whether it's through helping or hands or giving. I don't know. Instead, we walk on stage and go, yeah, no, big church-wide timeout. You know what I was going to call this sermon? Uh, it's going to call Shrink the Church. We've done these every once in a while. I wanted to bring such definition to who we were and who we weren't going to be that part of you all left. <laughs> because I don't want to get messed up. I don't want people telling me how awesome I am. Stop. I, I know how awesome I'm not, right? And my wife will tell you how awesome I'm not. You are not convincing anybody but yourself. I want to be where Jesus is, and I want to see him move his church, and I want to fade away into the background as a footnote in the movement of his kingdom like everybody else has. That's our calling. That's our purpose. And I want to do it as if I was on every single poster in every single town across this nation. I want to do it as if it mattered that much without any of that. And so should you. Because you are a disciple of God. You are in ministry. And you are part of it. But it's going to require that all of us stop and recognize that the only praises we should be singing are the praises of Jesus. Not the praises of our church or our leadership or our strategies or our plans. All of that will fade away. It is only the name of Jesus that will last. That's it. Period. Who else has seen a God like this? 
Isaiah says in this place that I think we are right now, only for a moment. It's going to go away, but just sit there for just a second. Because I think right now Jesus might be bigger for some of you than he's ever been. Right now, Isaiah says this. Who else has seen a God like this? From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Do you know why this verse is so special? Because it's a really, really humble, quiet, fatherly, gentle way to point out that you do nothing and God does everything. Who else has seen a God like this? No ear has heard or perceived, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. People who wait for God, they don't work for God. They wait for God. And then God does the work, and they show up and steward whatever it is he's given them to do. But they don't claim anything more than what did you do? We waited. We're just a church of waiters. We're just a church that's showing up and wants to be a part of whatever God's movement is, however big or small that might look like. Does this God need our glory? Absolutely not. One of my favorite verses to point this out, very simple, is Deuteronomy 10:14, and it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. So I think sometimes we go sit on the beach with our loved ones, and every once in a while we get a glimpse of God's glory. We see the sun go down, and we go, isn't that amazing? That sun breaks over that ocean, breaks over that skyline, and that's God. God created that. And I think that's awesome because God owns uh, the earth and the heavens. But have you ever thought about the fact that God owns the heaven of heavens? Like, as far out as you can imagine in the galaxy, there's another sun breaking over another skyline. And that's God's, too. Like, like there's another sun breaking over another skyline in another galaxy in another solar system. And God's like, that's mine too. It's, it's all mine. And I've given it all to my children because I love them that much. There's two words I want to give you as we close. And these are the two words that I believe, I really believe this, and I don't do this a lot, but I really believe the Holy Spirit, and I've confirmed this with a few people now, really, these are, these are for us. And these are the words that I think that as we begin to ride this roller coaster of being a little more known in our community, of being able to do a little more in our community, I think these words are going to be incredibly important to us in order for us not to lose our way. And they're the words Scripture and Spirit. Scripture and Spirit are how God guides us. I heard a story one time about a pastor that was... Uh, doing amazing things in his community. He was probably right around my age. He was overseeing like 350 churches in his denomination, and they proclaimed him up and coming. Fast forward five years, and his marriage had fallen apart. His life had fallen apart. His kids were wayward, and he was basically uh, a shell of the man he used to be. Fast forward 15 years later, and I read an interview of that man who proclaimed what had happened in his life, and he said this simple phrase, which I never forgot. He said, I realize now that the traits and skills that got me to that wondrous high place without other traits and skills could not keep me there. So he had the trait and skill of charisma, of preaching, of, of teaching, of leading, of being a strategist, of giving guidance and, and vision and all these wondrous things. But he didn't have the traits and skill of character and loyalty and truth. And he didn't need those things to build the church. He needed those things to maintain in the church. We as a church have to decide whether or not we're going to be somebody who just builds and fizzles 
and was a church in town that did good things, or if we're going to be a church that builds and develops and gives it all the way to the next generation, teaching them two simple skills, Scripture and Spirit. Without Scripture and Spirit, we will lose our way. Because it is through Scripture and Spirit that God speaks to us, talks to us. Through Scripture and Spirit, God ruins weekends like this one. Takes away my plans, my hopes, and my dreams to capitalize on this incredible momentum that took seven and a half years of me waiting. (laughs) And instead, God says, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to remind people that even in their own lives, because this all pertains to people who don't even go here, you're visiting or you plan on not coming back because today it was just way too freestyle for you. That's fine. Still take scripture and spirit with you because you can manage a broken marriage through scripture and spirit. You can manage wayward children. You can manage a company. You can manage uh, restoration. You can manage forgiveness. You can manage a life through the God-breathed, God-given scripture and spirit because both those things will point you consistently and constantly to the glory of God who is our purpose and reason for being here. You're going to see the name added to almost all of our logos slowly. Scripture and spirit. Kessid Church. Scripture and spirit. Scripture and spirit. Scripture and spirit. I kind of hope there comes a point in a few years, all it is is scripture and spirit, and there's a little tiny Kessid down at the bottom. That's what it's about. It's not about us. What if we were a church that recognized that? What if we were people who saw that and lived our lives from that place? These are the things that must be added. We can build a church without this. I need to confess this to you. We could build this church really easy. As a matter of fact, with my broken skill set, I confess to you right now, I myself, I myself, with my broken skill set, believe I could build this church double to triple the size that it is. Would you like to know how? Well, first off, we'll up all the performances here, okay? Everything will get shinier. Instead of scripture, right, we will, uh, we, it'll be all about shine, okay? It'll be all about shine. We'll just try to shine as bright as we possibly can. We'll make sure we market way better than we are right now. And we'll, we'll sponsor every single possible Facebook video we can to make sure everybody knows we exist here and God is moving here quietly unlike anywhere else. <laughs> Just really quiet, though, because you can't do it too much. Not at the beginning. Later, you can do it super loud. Not at the beginning, right? Also, we will really lean into um, only preaching things that are pleasing, right? Things that are super hip. Things that are super cool. I'll get a neck tattoo. Okay, that's one thing I'll do right away. It's a big one. You can't see it all the way. Just one that peeks out from the shirt just a little bit, right? So let you know I'm hip. I'm in, right? I, I, I get it. I know what's going on. I'm going to preach from my cell phone from now on. No more Bible. Just my cell phone. Just going to read the scripture from my cell phone. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever is in is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get rid of my mic because I don't want to use my hands. I'm going to instead have a handheld mic like a stand-up comedian because that's super in right now. Okay, I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to wear everything super tight. Okay, <laughs> so tight. <laughs> like when I walk, you're just going to be like, I'll be like, yeah, what's up? Just super, super tight clothes. Okay, and really long shirts past my knees. And then what we're going to do is we're going to tell everybody, God's doing incredible stuff. You should bring your friends. Church will grow. Church won't stay. It'll be here for a while. A lot like the fair. Ten days of fun. Then it's gone. <laughs> right? Just nothing but old caramel corn on the ground. That, is that what you want from this church? Just nothing but old caramel corn. Right? That's not what we're going to do. Okay? We are going to be a church that builds slow and builds steady and builds how we build. We like old people here. 
I don't know why. We like old people and babies. That's just what we're about. Everybody else, whatever. You know, you can come if you want. But we're about old people and babies. I don't know why. It's just who God brought us. We love our death ministry here, right? It's just what we're about, okay? We love the stuff that God is doing. We love arts here. Do you know we do stuff on stage? People ask me, why did you do dance? Because I like dance. Why did you do the? You know Dave did the, the 4th of July, the special? Because he likes it. We didn't strategize that. Like, you know what we should do? We should lean into all of our NRA members in the church and really hit the 4th of July. That's what we should do. Nail them in. Get them in. Right? Those people are committed. That is not what we did. Dave's like, hey, I'm really feeling patriotic this weekend. I want to do it. Great. Do it. We do what we do because we do it. That's just what we do. And so we as a church are going to be, I think, exactly what God wants us to be. Because I really think God is enjoying the fact that we live inside Scripture and Spirit. And we express who we are because it is who we are. Doesn't make it better or worse than anyone else. I love all those skinny G's tat wearing, mic speaking, cell phone preaching churches. But it ain't me. Just be you. With Jesus. If it's just you and Jesus, then whatever reach that brings will be exactly what it should because it will be the purest form of bringing God glory you can possibly imagine. And I would rather have the purest, smallest testimony of being true to the fact that I brought the name of Jesus' glory with my one life and my one sermon, my one song and this one church than, than to have 300 churches I oversaw in a denomination and a shallow life. That's what we get to be a part of because that's what matters the most. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to have the worship team come out and uh, I wanted to, to give us an opportunity to kind of to soak in this. And so uh, oftentimes, we as, uh, we as God's people, we, uh, we, we come to places in our lives where these sermons just kind of wash over us, these songs just kind of wash over us, and we forget what it is that, uh, that we're really supposed to be about. And so I wanted to close this service with just that, with just expressing what, what this is all supposed to be about. And I wanted to lean into this concept of Scripture and Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to read a psalm chapter over you, a little longer than the one that's on the screen. And I'm going to ask you to stand up because we're going to let this really be an expression of our faith, an expression of our love. And we're going to bring glory to God who deserves all of our praises and all of our worship and all of our noise, amen? Psalm 148 says quite simply, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens, praise the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, and flying birds, praise the Lord of the earth and all the peoples, princes and all the rulers of the earth, young men and maidens, together, old men and children, in the last verse, 
Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for His name is above and is alone exalted. His majesty is above earth.